back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Hannah Abrams, and I'm joined, as always, by Avi Cooper and Tony Brew. Hey, guys. Hey, Hannah. How are things in uh, your your new digs, Hannah? (laughs) It's great. It's great. I'm enjoying the time difference. It's like so bright and early here. How is the end of the evening for you guys? Yeah, it's it's daylight there. It's pitch black. Tony and I are both like Eastern (laughs) time. You guys got to come visit. It does look quite sunny there. Yeah, it looks like a beautiful <laughs> evening you're having there. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to talk about what happens on a sunny day. So, Tony, you were recently telling us a story and also posting on Twitter about the effect of alcohol on temperature and our sensation of warmth. So can you tell us a little bit of the story? What got you interested in the topic? Yeah, so as I wrote in one of the tweets, this sort of all was born out of an experience at a soccer game. So earlier in the summer... We had this really warm, almost unseasonably warm day. It was in the 90s. And the following day, the temperature sort of dropped into the 50s, and it was overcast and windy. It was just a miserable day. And I hadn't prepared well for this soccer game. This is my daughter's soccer game. And so I was rather uncomfortable during the game. And sort of running up and down the sidelines, cheering on my daughter, it could only do so much. I was, I was pretty cold. And so at one point, I turned to a friend of mine, and I asked him as a joke, you know, hey, do you have a flask of whiskey? And I basically told him that I could use a shot to warm me up. And what has kind of become a typical routine for me now, like a few minutes later, I'm on my phone making a note that I need to look up the mechanism of feeling warm after alcohol, because I had no idea why it happened, even though I had sort of just asked for a shot to do that effect on me. Is this sort of ringing true to either of you guys? You've ever been at a daughter's soccer game and turned and said, hey, give me a shot of whiskey? <laughs> maybe not that Yeah, maybe not that specific scenario. Uh, okay, all right. But, this uh, is certainly like a meme, I, right? The sort of like collar turned up to the cold, you know, sipping. Yeah, I think of like two aspects of it. One is like a shot of some kind of warming alcohol that it that immediately after you feel warm. And then I also kind of think about subsequently feeling warmer than before. Yeah. And, you know, I have these vivid memories of going to Giants football games when I was in elementary school and these, you know, it's football season. So they're in the dead of winter. And I'd noticed my dad and my uncle and they would take a swig from a flask. And I kind of always assumed it was just a compliment to the hot dog they were eating. But I don't know, maybe they were onto something. So, you know, when you swallow you know, especially like hard liquor, you can get sort of a burning sensation sort of in the esophagus as you're swallowing it. Is that what the warmth is coming from? Yeah, that's certainly part of the initial warmth that we feel. But there's sort of this more sustained sense of warmth. And you actually, I think, use the word burning, right? That initial feeling is a burn, and then there's the warmth that follows. And that more sustained sense of warmth that we feel, that's also reported, and there's a different mechanism uh, to that. But sort of the ubiquity of this experience, it's just so common and so historically reported that you kind of look back. And even in sort of military records, they make note of this. So both German and Russian military leaders actually recommended the prophylactic administration of alcohol to soldiers soldiers during World War II. Like that was part of the recommendations they made in their, their war and guidance. And during World War One, there was a months-long back and forth in the pages of the British Medical Journal debating the so-called rum ration for soldiers. And one of the contributors to this, uh, a guy named E. Musgrove Woodman, he argued that alcohol is, quote, 
only given out in cold weather and is almost exclusively given to the troops actually in the trenches, end quote. Like, that was his argument. Like, let's give the rum ration to these World War I soldiers so that when they're cold in the trenches, they have something with them. I want to read the rest of that back and forth in the BMG. I mean, it, it didn't stop, it, like, literally for months. Wow. Um, Isn't this also why St. Bernard's, like the dogs, carry brandy in a cask around their necks to warm up the people that they're protecting and rescuing? That's what I always... Well, I didn't actually know. I I just remember seeing those photos. But as I've gotten older, I I assumed that was part of it. Plus, maybe you just want some brandy when you're out in the cold. But this idea of like the brandy-toting St. Bernard is actually a myth. (laughs) And it emerged uh, really just from a painting from 1820. The painting was entitled, probably appropriately, Alpine Mastiffs Reanimating a Distressed Traveler. And it looks exactly like what you'd imagine. And we'll share a picture of this painting uh, on the website. And I'll tell you, it was sold recently for $800,000. So if you're looking for a painting of St. Bernard's and carrying brandy, you need about $800,000 to do that. But, you know, taking a step back, if you, you sort of think about this general sense of warmth from alcohol... You know, we have this military experience. We have, you know, brandy toting St. Bernard's from the 1800s, but we actually have some experimental data too. For example, and this dates back a number of decades as well. And we have one study from 1960 that placed participants in 59 degree Fahrenheit water. And it gave them, after, you know, immersing them in the water, either alcohol or basically nothing. And those who drank alcohol, quote, felt much less cold with many describing the water as quite warm. And 15 degrees Celsius, 59 degrees Fahrenheit, that's pretty cold, but they felt pretty warm because they had drank alcohol. And, you know, I I like to try to fold in comparative physiology whenever I can. And, And what's cool is that this effect is not unique to humans. So there's this one study of goldfish where they place them in either water, pure water, or 1% alcohol. And when they exposed the, the goldfish to the alcohol, they swam to the colder end of the aquarium. And so this suggests that their brains were saying, hey, fish, you're pretty hot right now. Why don't you go find some colder water and cool off? <laughs> I love that this is the opposite of how we study fever in turtles. <laughs> exactly. What about trees? <laughs> trees. No. But before we get to this sort of general sense of warmth, though, could we go back to that sort of initial burning sensation that you get in the esophagus when the alcohol goes down? Like, again, it's really is like more of a, like you said, a burning sensation. So is that related to this at all or separate? Yeah. So to first, absolutely. It, it is more of a burn. And the reason for this makes sense. And it's because that alcohol induced burn results from activation of what are called the valinoid receptor one receptors. Uh, but these receptors are also known as capsaicin receptors. And I'll just make a note here that there are actually myriad other names for these receptors. Actually, we've used in prior episodes a different name for them. But for simplicity, I'll refer to these as either the capsaicin receptor or VR1 for the valinoid receptor 1. But it's really activation of of these receptors that leads to that initial burn. And I think most of us think of capsaicin as an active molecule in chili peppers that makes them spicy, a pain medication... We also learned about the VR1 receptor way back in episode 28, when we talked about why a urinary tract infection burns. But there's a lot that activates those receptors. So what are some of the other things that activate it? Right. So as you know, you know capsaicin is one, 
chili peppers have capsaicin, topical medications like the well-named capsaicin. These are all big activators of the receptor. Another food product that many of us have uh, had that does the same thing is wasabi. But the most important thing for today's discussion is temperature. So when you reach a temperature of 109 degrees Fahrenheit or 43 degrees Celsius, these receptors are activated. Right, but most of us aren't like doing flaming shots of, of liquor, right? Like, is alcohol activating these receptors too? Yes. I don't think any of us are carrying on flasks and like sort of lighting them on fire. Uh, I said most of us. Before we do the shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. speak for yeah. yourself, Tony. <laughs> Fair enough. But the reality is alcohol doesn't, I don't think, directly activate these receptors, but it potentiates the response of the VR receptor to capsaicin and to heat. And so this was noted in a, study, a 2002 study from the Department of Experimental and Clinical Medicine from Ferrara, Italy, a good place to sort of study this kind of thing. So does this mean that if I were to have alcohol with a spicy food, like hot wings or something, it would make the heat from that spicy food more intense? It does. Um, there are some who have sort of advocated that if you're eating spicy foods, you know, to have you know, hard liquor with it. That's just going to exacerbate the capsaicin-induced burn that these wings have. Most people, if they're you know, exacerbate um, or amplify, with it. <laughs> right? Yeah, exacerbate. It amplifies probably it's all the, about the, the perspective, right word. I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the right. It amplifies is is a right way to think about it. But the temperature effect, I think, is the more important one again for for what we're thinking about. So, in addition to to sort of seeing the amplification of the capsaicin activation of these receptors, the authors of this 2002 study also found that alcohol lowered the threshold for temperature activation of VR1. So, as I mentioned earlier, the activation temperature is typically around 109 degrees Fahrenheit, so really, really high. Okay, so 109 degrees is like way hotter than the temperature of the esophagus, but 93 degrees, I mean, now we're in sort of the ballpark where maybe you, um, you know, body, body temperature, you could get activation of these capsaicin receptors, right? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of precisely the point here. Like when I do a shot of whiskey, a receptor that would normally only activate at 109 now goes wild at my body temperature, a mere 98 degrees. So like that's the initial sort of alcohol burn. And, you know, I came across this recently for kind of a, a related but semi-unrelated reason, because um, I was sort of looking into non-alcoholic spirits. And this whole sensation, this burning sensation comes up when you're trying to develop and market um, uh, a non-alcoholic spirit. Because, you know, one of the expectations when I have a drink of whiskey or gin, you know, when I drink it neat is I'm going to have that burn, Right. And so when these companies are creating non-alcoholic versions, they need to add something other than alcohol to mimic that sensation. And I think you guys can probably guess what they're adding to that these formulas. That is so interesting. Yeah, like you look on the ingredients and it says- I'm based on the discussion we just had. Yeah. That's, yeah, they're not, they're not adding Frank's hot sauce, but they're, they're adding, you know, capsaicin and, you know, it doesn't, I've tasted these things and, um, it doesn't taste quite the same, but it's definitely in the right ballpark. It's so physiologic to do that, you know, to like, to get to the human experience and leverage the physiology. Exactly. Well, leverage the chemistry. I don't know about you guys, but I'm thinking if I ever went on the show Hot Ones, where they interview celebrities as they eat extremely hot, the celebrities get to choose what drink they bring. And I'm just thinking everyone who brought beer is so foolish. Yeah. 
we should we should send this to you know yeah no kidding all these celebrities (laughs) stop I'll send this to Jennifer Lawrence, who's <laughs> yeah. that, that well, meme I can't get I think get Beyonce went on relatively... Anyway, um, so this feels relatable. This is something we've many of us who are listening have probably felt. And in the minutes to follow, we get that initial warmth. And then subsequently, there is like a more general warmth. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the next phase of alcohol-induced feeling warm? I would love to do that. But before I do, uh, let's take a break to hear from our sponsor. Brooklinen. So in the summertime, it can be a little bit difficult to get away, but who says you can't vacation from the comfort of your own home? Brooklinen is here to keep you cozy all summer long with their award-winning sheets and home essentials. Brooklinen was founded by a husband and wife duo back in 2014, and their mission is to provide their customers with hotel quality and luxury bedding. Brooklinen is the perfect way to build your own indoor oasis to escape the heat, and you can save time and up to 25% when bundling your new favorite home essentials. And I'll just say, having tried Brooklinen sheets myself, they're soft, they're comfortable. It really did feel like sleeping in a hotel bed and sort of having a vacation at home, which was really pretty cool. So shop in store or online at brooklinen.com today to give yourself the luxurious sleep you deserve this summer. Use promo code CURIOUS for $20 off your online purchase and of $100 or more, plus free shipping on brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N dot C-O-M. Use promo code CURIOUS for $20 off plus free shipping. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, so right before the break, we were talking about the sort of first warmth, really burn that alcohol induces. So now let's transition to the sort of more sustained sense of warmth. And I'm going to start this part off by saying something that's maybe going to sound weird at first, but it's that the sensation of warmth we feel occurs despite the fact that alcohol actually lowers our core temperature. All right. So tell us why alcohol re- lowers our core temperature and fools us in this manner. Yeah, I can explain that first and then, like, why are we still feeling warm? So there's probably a few potential um, mechanisms here, but the one that's been most studied is peripheral vasodilation. All right, so alcohol has been shown to lead to peripheral vasodilation. This is dating back over 100 years that we have some evidence of this. And with this vasodilation comes heat loss through the skin and a resulting lowering of the core temperature. Okay, so is the feeling of warmth, a result of our skin feeling warm from the sort of vasodilation, increased blood flow and that sort of thing? Like, is that what's going on? If you go to a uh, lay audience website and, or just like Google, you know, why does alcohol make you warm, make you feel warm? That's the explanation they're going to offer that there's vasodilation and skin feels warm. So so it must be right. I I don't think. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. But I don't think that's the actual explanation. And you know, one of the reasons is that most of the studies that look at this find that even though the core temperature drops and people feel warm, most of them don't show an increase in skin temperature after the alcohol ingestion, right? And if that's the mechanism of feeling warm, I mean, you got to show me that it happens. And so one example I'll offer is a study from 2005 by Yoda et al., where they placed participants in a 91 degrees Fahrenheit room and gave them either alcohol or water. And the core temperature dropped in those who drank alcohol, but not in those who drank water, sort of consistent with what we've been talking about. And although skin blood flow increased, alcohol 
also led to actually a decrease in skin temperature. You know, despite the fact that the core temperature dropped and the skin temperature dropped, participants who drank alcohol actually felt warmer than those who drank water. So this kind of supports the idea that like there's got to be something different okay, than so just oh my skin is not the warmer skin. What is the what is the something different? So it's probably something centrally, not peripherally. It's probably not something again related to the vasodilation and the, and the sort of my skin feels warm. And I think it comes back to the idea of a mismatch between the hypothalamic set point and the core temperature. And this is something we discussed in episode twenty four. And if you remember back to that episode, we talked a lot about fever and iguanas like being exposed to cold and like walking around in a box. And what we said in that episode is if you take my set point and you raise it via, say, a pyrogen to something like 102 degrees, but my core temperature is only at 99, my, my core temperature hasn't gotten up to the 102 that my hypothalamic set point is asking it to, to be, I am going to be cold compared to what my body wants me to be. My core temperature is 99. My body wants me to be 102. There's a mismatch there. So I'm going to feel cold. And a result of that feeling cold, I'm going to go put on clothes and I'm going to seek shelter. So with alcohol, it's likely that that hypothalamic set point is lowered. And you know, you might example, I'll just give examples because there's no real data on this, unfortunately. So maybe the set point drops from a normal of like 99 degrees Fahrenheit to, for example, say 95 degrees Fahrenheit. To get there, the body vasodilates to dump heat through the skin. And if you're a fish, you'll swim to colder waters. That's going to be one of the ways you're going to lower your body temperature. And if you're me at a soccer game, you'll say, huh, this weather isn't so bad because your body is actually looking for a colder temperature anyway. Your body wants you to lower your temperature because that set point has been lowered and your temperature right now is warmer than that set so that's this idea of like, I feel warm compared to what my body is asking me to feel or really wanting me to feel or be, feels not the right word, be. It's so interesting. It's like an anti-fever almost, right? It's sort of the exact opposite of what your body is trying to do, your hypothalamus is trying to do with a fever. Yeah, I think that's right. But it, it sounds like, it, you know, this could be dangerous though, right? I mean, feeling warm despite being actually colder and losing heat. I mean, it just seems like something that could have problems from an exposure standpoint. Yeah, that's a really, really important point because alcohol is a known risk factor for accidental hypothermia. And you know, there's a lot of different reasons for that, right? Alcohol has you know huge effects on cognition, and that's a, undoubtedly a, f- a factor as well. But you can imagine that someone who feels warmer than they are might be at greater risk when exposed to dangerously cold weather. Like You could imagine yeah, that happening. Yeah, absolutely. Although... On the other hand, you might imagine, for example, in situations in which the physiologic adaptation to cold is too much, so like frostbite, uh, that it might potentially be a little beneficial to have some vasodilator on board. Yeah, and there are actually a few of the studies that sort of report on this topic that kind of make that point that maybe there's some protection you know, as relates to sort of the prevention of digital ischemia from frostbite. But, you know, I think in some, the fear of accidental hypothermia and death sort of overpowers that. You know, one of the fascinating things I came across when when reading about this is that one of the most famous survivors of the Titanic was purported to have been helped by having drunk alcohol just before the ship sank. I hadn't heard this story again until I started reading about this. Have you guys heard this story? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, even if you had, I'm going to tell it right Please. now. But <laughs> yeah. So, so the guy's name is uh, Charles Jockin, and he was the chief baker on the Titanic. And he survived for two plus hours treading water in the sort of frigid Atlantic Ocean after the ship had sunk. And the water was reportedly about 28 degrees Fahrenheit, so negative two degrees Celsius. And he is one of like very few survivors who was rescued directly from the water. Most of them were on sort of rescue boats. And during his testimony before the British Wreck Commissioner's inquiry, Jockin reported that after the ship hit the iceberg, he, quote, went down to my room and had a drop of liquor, end quote. And sort of the inquiry asked a follow-up question like, you know, how much did you have? And he said it was a tumbler half full did of Did the inquiry spirits. then ask how big the tumbler was? <laughs> I'm not sure that that's a standard <laughs> measure. Yeah, I think that would be the appropriate follow-up. <laughs> yeah, they didn't. I spent a lot of time Googling half tumbler, like early 1900s. I, I couldn't figure out how much is in a half tumbler. So I don't know how much he drank. Undoubtedly more than a drop. <laughs> uh, yes, definitely more than a drop. Um, but no matter like sort of the amount, uh, it's fascinating because one of the questioners during the inquiry, this Mr. Cotter, he told the commission that, quote, I think his getting drunk had a lot to do with saving his life, end quote. And it's kind of unfortunate because I couldn't really find a clear explanation for what Cotter had in mind. But many, many articles, and I'll say Wikipedia is included in this, they have cited the fact that I had drunk alcohol as being a protective factor while he was in the cold. And his story is so famous that you even see Jockin in the 1997 movie Titanic taking a swig from a flask before the ship goes down. Like, that's how like, well-known this story is. Totally wild. I thought I was saturated with Titanic news, but here we go. What a great story. There's always more. And to James Cameron's credit, I think he's known to be someone who tries to, you know, be accurate. Um, and this is, you know, not everything about Jockin in the movie was totally accurate, but, you know, there, there he is, the chief baker. I think it's also just really interesting, just in general, Tony, for this episode, that it explains not one, but two sort of features of drinking alcohol, right? The burning sensation plus the sense of warmth um, that is just sort of so commonly experienced. But uh, I think... You know, I certainly have never really understood either of those. And I'll just make one final note. Like, you know, if you have a, a like a cut on your skin, right, we know that it burns to put alcohol on it. It's the same idea, right? Capsaicin receptor is being activated by the alcohol in that swab. Like that, it's the same as, as when it goes down the esophagus. That's It's a, a same phenomenon. And, and Tony, I think we briefly talked about it, but... I, I think other people might have the same question. It sounds like this is a totally different mechanism than uh, aldehyde dehydrogenase deficiency causing flushing. Yeah, the, the overlap and you know, to what extent alcohol dehydrogenase, dehydrogenase is a factor for the vasodilation that we see in like the skin and the dumping of, of heat versus sort of the sort of flushing that you get in like the face. There's probably some overlap there, but I'm, I'm not exactly sure sort of where and how much. Very cool. Tony, do you have any take-home points for us? Yeah. So, you know, first, alcohol lowers the temperature at which these sort of capsaicin receptors fire, and this leads to that burning sensation you feel after doing a shot, particularly of high-proof uh, liquors. And alcohol also leads to a subjective sensation of warmth, and this is despite the fact that your core temperature is going down. And the mechanism behind this 
subjective sensation of warmth is, is likely central from an alteration in the hypothalamic set point. Incredible. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at curiousclinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. Physicians and other healthcare professionals can earn CME and MOC credits from VCU Health just for listening to this episode. So for more information, visit ce.vcuhealth.org slash curiousclinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice unless you're going on hot ones. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians. <laughs> also, it was Maya Rudolph, not actually Beyonce, I should clarify. <laughs> that show is good. All right, well, thanks so much, Tony. Bye.